And I'd like to welcome Amy Mewborn to the weekly Yes And podcast. Now, Amy, you live in San Diego, but you're currently in Las Vegas. How are things in Las Vegas this morning? Well, it's beautiful. It's a little warm here uh, in San Diego. It's pretty much typically like 75 and sunny. And I would say here in Vegas this week, it's been about 95. Um, but it's been a great week. Not too terribly hot, but it's been kind of perfect to be out, especially in the evening. Although we've been working so much, we really haven't gotten to enjoy it like we thought we would. Yes. And it's, you know, I mean, Vegas is kind of a quiet town. And so, you know, there's not much going on at night, right? <laughs> no, nothing at all. It's actually one of the things I love the most. If I tend to be a little bit of an insomniac, and so at 3 or 4 in the morning, I just get up and I come and I sit here at the dining room table and just watch outside everyone walking by at 4 o'clock in the morning. Yes, yes. It, it truly it truly never stops. Uh, yes. So, uh, Amy, thanks so much for, for jumping on the podcast. I, I just gave your, your full intro, Um I want to jump in. You're a recovering financial advisor, and you left the world of finance in 2010 to open two San Diego fitness studios. Now, most people would would jump on the career path and get to being a successful financial advisor and feel like they're made in the shade. But you left that to start fitness studios, which probably have a high success of failure. So, so what was what was the impetus for that jump? So. Ultimately, uh, I had started in finance when I was 18 years old in college. I started interning with American Express, and I really loved it. It was a great job for me. I'm kind of techie. I'm a little bit of a nerd. I like everything to add up in spreadsheet columns. And when I moved to San Diego in 2001, I joined a really amazing firm that had 35 high net worth families. And there was, it literally was my dream job. I sat there at the dining room table in these amazing homes with the most fabulous clients. And I was learning so much. And one of the things that I learned from all of them was basically the fact that if you genuinely want to build true wealth, you need to be the entrepreneur. You need to be the business owner. So even though I was making six figures, I had a great job. I worked four days a week. I had five weeks of vacation. And I really had, by a lot of people's standards, made it. There was just something gnawing inside that just wasn't right. And so I really had fallen in love with fitness years and years ago, and I had gotten a Pilates certification, goodness, in 2005, Mm -hmm. and really would have loved to have opened a Pilates studio back then, but... From a financial standpoint, I could never see how to make the numbers work. And even though even though I genuinely wanted to have something amazing in my life, my life was still finance, and it was really hard to want to make that jump if I couldn't see the numbers. So uh, probably about two or three years later, I through a weird series of circumstances, had a stroke, and it was due to birth control. I threw a blood clot, and it stopped in the brain. And that was kind of that moment where you wake up, and you start looking around, and you're like, okay, at this point, I'm 30 years old. Is this as good as it's going to get, or is it maybe time to explore other opportunities? 
Okay, and so that was that was kind of the tipping point that sort of led you down this new path. And yeah. so where did where did that uh, where did the inspiration come from? Where did the courage come from to still make that leap? Sure. So first of all, I am tremendously fortunate in that my husband is an entrepreneur, had basically been an entrepreneur his whole life, and he has always been wildly supportive. So when I came and said, you know, I'm really not having fun anymore and I don't really enjoy this, uh, he was he was very encouraging to go and find another opportunity. But Really, fitness hadn't necessarily been on my radar in terms of opening studios because I said, from a financial standpoint, I didn't see how it worked. But about 2009, I went in and took my first bar class, which a lot of people are like, well, what is that? And it's basically a fitness class done at a ballet bar. Mm -hmm. And it really, at the time, hadn't, hadn't really even taken off around the country. And long story short, as I was there in class, I'm looking around and I'm like, hmm, okay. So there's not a lot of build out in this space. There's hardly any equipment. We use little bands and balls and mats and some little hand weights. And there are 23 to 25 people in this class and they're all making about $15. They're all paying about $15 a class. This makes sense. And so that was the first time that I looked and genuinely saw a fitness model that I thought, wow, there isn't a huge barrier to entry. And it's something that really, once someone becomes a, a bar fan, they're like a bar addict. So it really was kind of that perfect transition for me to step away from that corporate career and feel fairly confident that at least the model worked. Okay. And so you talked that even during your, while you were doing the the financial advising and you were successful, you talked about there was there was kind of a gnawing inside that, you know, there's, there's got to be more than this. And I think a lot of people can relate to this, this sort of internal gnawing that is kind of feeling like, huh, is there more? Can you, can you describe what that felt like for you? So we all feel it at some point in our lives, and it could be about a relationship, it could be about a friendship, it could be about a career, but ultimately, I think it's that feeling that when you look around and you're like, oh, I really don't want to do this, then you need to be listening to that. And again, my career was an awesome career, and looking back, there are actually times that I miss it. It was really a great job. But the biggest thing for me was the fact that on Sundays, right around noon, I really started to get crabby. And I, I was often already on Sunday afternoon thinking about all the things that I wanted to get done that week. And then I wasn't sleeping well. And so I would literally lay in my bed sometimes until three or four in the morning on a Sunday night, Monday morning, and then have to be in the office by seven. And it just, it was really starting to wear on me. And so that was kind of the first thing. But then the second thing is, 
when you look around and you are kind of sabotaging relationships or like I was picking fights with my husband. I just was constantly just cranky. And so we were always just nitpicking each other. And I was normally the person that was starting the fight just because I was unhappy. So you start to notice those things, but it's often not until the current situation is so painful that you realize I really need to make a change. Or you have a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you know, not hopefully not everyone is ever going to have to go through that to realize that okay, if I'm 32 years old or if, I, if I'm 30 years old and I die of a stroke and I've never gotten to do all these things I wanted to do, is that really okay? <laughs> right. But that I mean that's kind of the message, right? It, it's you know, you talked about listening really listening to that knowing, listening whatever you call that internal voice, whatever someone calls it. It's there and it's speaking to us, but I think most of us are really, really conditioned uh, to ignore it and to keep pushing it off. And oftentimes it grows into a bigger life, you know, a bigger life situation that really gets our attention before we really sort of uh, 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 listen to that voice with a little more clarity. Sure. As humans, I mean, a lot of times from the time we've been growing up, our parents have told us, you don't want to quit something, you want to keep moving forward, and you want to finish and everything. Well, that's great, but there comes a point in your life where if you're looking around and you're not happy with where you are, no one has the potential to change that but you. Right. And so... I know a, a lot of people listening, uh, especially who are who are having that gnawing voice inside their head. There's something big that they want to do, or uh, even just you know toying with the idea of becoming an entrepreneur. Now, I, you've developed programs to to help entrepreneurs to help them take that initial leap. For you, when you took the initial leap, what were, what was some of the what was some of the goo? What were some of those scary? you know, uncomfortable moments where you were even questioning your own, you know, success? Oh, goodness. So first of all, I would say that the biggest fear for me was going and renting space because, you know, the thing about fitness is it's one thing when you're starting as a personal trainer and you're bringing people into your home or you're going and going to other clients' homes or things like that. But for me, when I went and signed my first five-year lease, that was like, ooh, I am really committing to this and I have to be all in. And then the other thing is that when you first open your doors or you launch any type of business, there's going to be a little bit of trial and error. And it's really important that business owners or potential entrepreneurs understand that you're not going to open your doors to any type of new business and be an overnight success a lot of times. So for me, when I first opened I opened to a full schedule and I didn't have the good sense at the time to open with an abbreviated schedule because I didn't really have a clientele yet. And so for the first two weeks, I taught about 32 classes a week all by myself while the rest <laughs> of my staff was getting up to speed. Yeah. And by 
The third day, no joke, I was popping Advil like you couldn't imagine. I was so tired. And by about the end of the first week, I came home and I put my head on my husband's lap. And I said, I don't know what on earth I was thinking. (laughs) I'm actually praying that people will not come to class so I can just sit down and and get a break. Yeah. So, you know, it's all of those things that you have to realize that things aren't going to be perfect when you first launch anything. And that's okay. You know, a lot of a lot of the most successful entrepreneurs became successful because they had grit and because they continued to work hard. Right. So for you, when you ran into or, or just in general, when you run into uh, these obstacles, when you run into adversity, what is uh, you know, what is it that you turn to? How do you, you know, how do you take these obstacles head on without being intimidated by them? So I think a lot of it is just, have you made up your mind that you've basically burned the bridge behind you and there's no option but to make it successful? And if that's the case, then Every time you hit an obstacle, you're going to kind of step back and be like, okay, what didn't go well here and how do I need to tweak that to make it better in the future? And then the other thing is, I think that especially as entrepreneurs, we need some type of outlet to get away from our businesses on a daily basis. And for me, I often just one o'clock in the afternoon will shut everything down and go off to the gym, get a workout in, and then I come back and do it again. And for me, that is the time where when I'm on the treadmill or I'm in a class or any other number of things, that's when I'm most creative. And it's also when I start to get ideas for problem solving that maybe I've been sitting there at my desk over and over again trying to come up with a solution. But a lot of times it's when you shut your brain off that the solutions start to come. Do uh, the people at the uh, club give you a funny look? They're like, what are you doing in our club? Would you get your own studio down the street? So (laughs) not really. Uh, It's part of the reason I actually went and joined a big club is that I wanted to be able to walk in there and be 100% anonymous. Right. So when I first joined, my husband said, well, why don't you go and ask if you can teach some classes there? And I'm like, no, I don't want to teach classes there. I just want to walk in, no one know me, be able to come in, put my headphones on, and not talk to anyone. Because if I do that in my studios, I'm... I'm rude. You know, I mean, these are my clients. These are people that are paying me on a monthly basis. And if I walk in and I'm not like, hi, and just super warm and encouraging, then it's like, well, what's wrong with Amy? Why is she not being more friendly? And for me, I just need an hour of my own time too. And which which raises a good point. So you've, you've built in this routine of being able to, to step away, go do a workout, clear your head, Do you have other things uh, that are part of your daily routine that are sort of non-negotiable? So I don't know if I would say I have anything else that is flat out non-negotiable. My husband and I very much enjoy getting up in the morning, making a cup of coffee, and just kind of sitting and talking about our day. As entrepreneurs, uh, we find that often we get really busy and we communicate some days it feels like more through text than actually speaking. And so we genuinely enjoy that 
maybe 30 to 45 minutes first thing in the morning to just kind of sit down and talk about what's going on and get that time before things start to get crazy. Okay. And so um, when you, when you obviously you, you own your own businesses and things can get stressful, things can get uh, uh, anxious, uh, what's your go-to uh, when, when you're feeling that stress and uh, you, you just know, outside of just going for a workout, what's your go-to as far as knowing that, you know, I'm going to tap into this to, uh, to recharge my batteries? So I am a huge, huge advocate of the work hard, play hard mindset. And I always kind of joke, my husband says that I'm the sprinter and he's the marathon runner. And literally I will work, 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 work for like 15 straight days. And then on day 16, I want to do nothing. (laughs) I want my phone off. I want my computer off. And so one of the reasons that I work is I work to travel and experience the world. So every time I start to feel really overwhelmed, it normally is telling me that I need at least a day or two to completely unplug from my business and my life. And it could be as simple as just going down to a hotel, you know, 30 minutes away. It doesn't have to be a long, crazy trip. It just, it needs to be out of my home, away from my computer, because otherwise, if I have it with me, I feel tempted to be in it. Sure. Yeah. And now we've got, you know, you've got your mini computer in your pocket, you know, all day. So. Uh, the, the accessibility is at a, you know, an all time high. It's a blessing and a curse. Yes, it is. <laughs> I, 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 I'm starting to see more of the curse than the blessing, but yes, it is. It is, it is indeed. So where do, where does your, your courage, where does your entrepreneurial spirit come from growing up where, you know, you, you're talking a lot about mindset. Where, where does this inspiration of mindset come from, from your background? Travis, I have no idea because that is one of the things that I joke about. Uh, For me, my parents were both employees and my dad was an iron worker and worked really, really hard. And his whole philosophy was, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to build my retirement account. I'm going to pay off my house and I'm going to have my pension and I'm going to be set. And then my mom went to work for a local university. And so she'd been there for probably, gosh, at this point, maybe almost 30 years. And I was literally the first entrepreneur in our entire family. And it's funny because we kind of joke that my mom went on blood pressure medicine about the time that my youngest brother moved away from home and I opened my own business. And I know that a lot of it was just, they were so worried about, about me going out and leaving a steady paycheck. Cause that's all we had ever known for me. I think a lot of it was really about the fact that I said in finance, I saw all these wildly successful people and none of their paths to the top were easy and a straight line and, you know, always roses. But if you genuinely want the life of your dreams, you have to be willing to take risks. And I I just remind myself of that every day. Yeah. What do you read for inspiration or motivation? 
Oh, I am an avid, avid reader. I Every time I go on vacation, I probably take four or five books either on my iPad or just physical books. And I've started to go back to actual written paper books because I like how they feel. Yeah. But I'm huge on business books. I'm huge on self-motivational books. Uh, for me, I tend to really like a good business book that's written as a story. So like Tony Shea's Delivering Happiness, yes. I think is one of the best books I've read in a long time just because he really delved into a lot of the experiences he went through in building Zappos, selling Zappos. And I loved how personal he was as he wrote that book. I love books like Rework, where, you know, they're really kind of trying to teach you some of the foundations of business. And so I just, I get so many ideas from sitting by a pool under an umbrella with a book. As you work with uh, with other aspiring entrepreneurs, I know you work, uh, I think, predominantly women uh, is your audience. What do you see as sort of the common uh, or, or the most common obstacle or fear that, uh, that your clients run into? So I think a lot of times it's about scaling. I think that people that feel that tug to be an entrepreneur will eventually listen to that voice. But I think the biggest challenge as I'm dealing with a lot of women entrepreneurs in particular is that they've often built pretty successful businesses where they're making good money, but they're doing everything themselves and they're afraid to hire that first staff person or to start turning things over to other people. And so they continue to do a lot of $10 an hour tasks that if they were to instead offload those to someone else and focus on $100,000, $10,000 an hour tasks, that they would be a lot more successful. Okay. And, and, and as far as the whole fear aspect, how do you coach people through some of their fear? So I think the biggest thing about fear is that we, we have to listen to our guts. I think that... If, if we're sitting here and afraid to take a chance, then it's kind of like that definition of insanity. You're mm -hmm. always going to get what you've always done. And if, if you're not afraid to just take a step out and, you know, you don't have to go all in right away. Try something. See how it is. Expand. Uh, hire that first VA for 10 hours a week. Doesn't really matter. But whatever you're afraid of, kind of step that toe in the water. And for the most part, we're normally going to find out that it's not nearly as scary as we thought it was going to be. Right, right. We stare at that. We stare at the barking dog and we walk at the dog. We start to diffuse the, uh, yeah. the fear. I love that. So, Amy, um, I, I do a little bit of uh, word, associ word association improvisation with everyone okay. now. So are you, are, you, are you ready for your improv? Let's do it. All right. First idea, word, phrase, anything that pops in your head, there's no wrong answer. Okay. That's improv. There's no wrong answer. Yeah. doesn't mean it's a good one, but there's just no wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> Great. 
<laughs> All right, first word, bravery. Mel Gibson. Braveheart is what uh, kind oh, of first I, came. I'm right there with you. I'm right yeah. there with you, yeah. Uh, fear. Oh, goodness, that's a, that's a tough one. Overcome. Overcome, nice. And by the way, I was going to try to do a really bad Scottish accent. Um, <laughs> with, that's what that was the pause, and, and you know, my I listened to my gut, and my gut said, "Don't do it, Travis." So I didn't. <laughs> <You're cute. laughs> uh, next word, uh, happiness. Tony Shea. I said that book. Yeah, great book too. I agree with you. Great book. Regret. Don't. Is there, is there anything you look back on, Amy, that, that, that there's a tinge of regret? Mm. You know, I don't know that I tremendously regret things in my life. I genuinely believe that every decision I've made, whether it be good or whether it be bad, has led me to where I am. I agree. I love that for sure. All right. Next one. Fitness. <laughs> I'll let you plug it here in a minute. <laughs> and the last one is someday. Today. Today is that someday. Yeah. I like it. All you right. Can't control tomorrow. No. What's the? Come on, Kung Fu Panda. I know it's it, it's. Uh, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. Yeah, love that. <laughs> uh, Amy, how can people get a hold of you? Where where should they find you online? So you can find me at my website, amymewborn.com, or uh, I offer all kinds of free, uh, free info for building a business, scaling a business, automating, and it's amymewborn.com forward slash free, and you can access all kinds of stuff there. Excellent. Amy, I was just reading uh, one of your blog posts, and you are talking think you were talking about the Instagram switching over to stories now and how you can okay. help build your brand by using okay. your story. Uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, more stories with my okay. on Instagram. Um, what do you do about a 14-year-old daughter who doesn't like what you post? Oh, goodness. Well, first of all, I don't have any kids, so that <laughs> that would not be an issue for me. But I can tell you that I think that as parents and kids, we all need to be respectful of the other people that our personal brand is affecting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wouldn't want my mom coming out in some little bitty mini skirt that a 12-year-old should be wearing, and I wouldn't want my 12-year-old coming out in things that a 22-year-old is wearing. So, you know, just I think that that translates to online as well. <laughs> Yes, yes, I, I, I agree. But uh, she and I don't always see eye to eye on the social media side of things. Well, unfortunately, you're the dad. You're always going to be embarrassing. That's true. That's true. And I'm, <laughs> I'm working hard at it every day, Amy, every day. Well, Amy, thanks so much for taking the time. I, I know you're in Vegas, so uh, there's no shortage of things for you to be doing right now. Sure. Uh, and uh, I really appreciated talking to you. And I know everyone listening uh, got some great uh, inspiration and tips as well. Thanks, Travis. This was a blast. Thanks, Amy. Have a wonderful yes and day. Thanks. You too. You still there? You still there? I, I am. And I, I finally now hear the kids. They were.